0: Welcome to the Best Ever You Network, celebrating our third year on Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Thank you for helping us become a number one rated live show with over 1 million global listeners. Our team is on a mission to help you discover your authentic best self and bring it to the world. And now, here's our show.
1: Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening to the Best Ever You show. I am one of your co hosts, Elizabeth Hamilton-Garino. I am in Maine. And um, on the other side of the country, we have Dr. Walter Jacobson. How are you today, Dr. Walter Jacobson?
0: Hey, I'm great, Elizabeth. Thanks. Everything is going good. I'm uh, looking forward to today's show about uh, networking and uh, who's in your room. Uh, good stuff coming up.
1: Oh yeah, I've got his book right here. We've got, for everybody listening, and I know you're all listening because it's been going around in social media. We have Dr. Ivan Meisner on the line with us, and um, it, it's interesting. He's been somebody I've been following for like. 3 years in social media and um I I don't know why I I've been so afraid to say hey do you want to be on my show. <laughs> it, he was kind of a really big goal of mine for a really long time and it was one of those things where um I'm usually pretty much a, an ask and get the answer and whatever it is it is and I just never asked and um we had Jack Canfield on the show back at the at the beginning um February, and he said, "You know who would be great for the show is Dr. Ivan Meisner." And I'm like, "Duh! <laughs> He'd be awesome. <laughs> He'd be so great." And it was kind of a light bulb went on, and and we went into asking though, didn't we, Dr. Walter?
0: Yeah, absolutely. it worked out really well.
1: Yeah, and uh, Dr. Dr. Ivan Meisner, he's the founder and chief visionary officer of BNI. BNI is the world's largest business networking organization. He founded this in 1985, and he can talk more about it, but basically um, the organization now has over 7,000 chapters throughout every populated continent of our world, and last year alone, uh, BNI generated 6.6 million referrals, uh, resulting in $8.6 billion worth of business for its members, which is incredible. Um, I'm really curious how he uses social media. Aren't you, Dr. Walter?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I believe he's kind of uh, the, like the king of, of, of uh, networking and the king of uh, social media. Kind, of, he kind of started a lot of the basic uh, uh, mechanisms going. So yeah, it'd be cool to find out how, what he uses and how that works. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I think so too. And you know, we can all you know, we were talking a little bit about this. You know, just when you think you're you're doing pretty well and you're chugging right along. You learn that there's always room for improvement, and um, when we have guests on like this, I love it because people listen to our show, and then they share the show, they download the show, they listen to it over and over and over again until they implement what our guest is trying to teach us. So I'm really excited. I've got his book right here. It's called Who's in Your Room? The Quality of Your Life Depends on the People in Your Life, and um, Dr. Ivan Meisner, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for being here with us today.
2: Thank you, I appreciate it, and uh, I appreciate your your very kind words. Uh, and, and you should have called me earlier; I would have I've been happy to be oh. on your show anytime.
1: It was I, really kind yeah, of was, Jack
2: to recommend me.
1: Yeah, isn't uh, he's just such a he was such a nice guest, and he he left our um, guests with so much information that people are still emailing me saying I just absolutely love that show with Jack Canfield. I and um and some of our audience they're younger we have and know that mm-hmm. a lot of our audience they're younger college students or maybe even high school students because of my children and uh they listen and i am always blown away by the young people learning from the show and implementing everything they learn and i've had i've had you know 20 25 year old um Young adults writing me saying, "I love jack canfield's book and i've used this and and everything so i'm wondering um we've got to we're going to show them your book who's in your room and can you do you want to just start off and tell us a little bit about what your book is about and where people can
2: get your book yeah absolutely so the the uh book is um really only available right now at bni.com because the the version of the book that you have is the bni edition we haven't even done the public edition of this book uh, it, i browbeat my co-authors uh, so much because i thought this concept was so fantastic that we you know we did a a, a version of the book for bni but it is uh it, it really is uh i think of interest to anyone who wants to surround themselves with uh uh, the right kind of people, the kind of people that add to their life rather than take away from their life. Um, so the, if you don't mind, let me let me give a little bit of the concept of the book because it, it, it helps to kind of um, explain what we mean by who's in your room. Imagine that you live your entire life in one room, and that room has only one door. And imagine that door was an enter-only door. So, that whoever comes into your life is there forever. You can't get them out. Now, if this were true, luckily, Elizabeth, this is a metaphor, but if it were true, would you be more selective about the people that you let into your life?
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely, without question.
2: I have never met anyone who said, no, nah, I don't care, you know, I'd let anybody in. Most people have gotten someone into their life that just uh, was a problem and they wonder, how did the, you know, how did I let this person get close to me? Uh, we've all been in that situation. And so the whole premise of the book is to be selective about the people who you let into your room because although, you know, you can get them out, it's not necessarily very easy. And how, how do you be more selective? And we talk about this concept, uh, the, the the doorman concept, and the idea is that the doorman is, your, is both your conscious and subconscious working to screen um, the people who come into your life based on, on their values and your values. And are they congruent? with the kind of people that you want in your life, the kind of people you want around. Um, and and they don't have to be completely congruent with values because diversity is, is uh, valuable, but they can't be incongruent with your values because that's when you end up having a clash with other people. Make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. So like, what would happen, though, let's say you kind of set up your – I'm not sure. You set up a doorman, kind of in your mind, somebody to yeah. to uh, kind of knows what your values are and kind of a screening uh, for for people. But what what happens when? So what do you do if, if someone does kind of sneak in there and then later you find out that he really doesn't share my values? Is is there a way to kind of uh, kind of avoid that or gently get that in the, that person to, to to sort of recede?
2: Yeah, it, it, it that's key and that's one of the, the first things that people uh, often bring up when I talk about this concept because you know sometimes people get in and and everyone at some point in their life something happens that their values may start changing and so you may have let people into your room um based on one set of values that you have and yet uh it it kind of uh, changes over time. People may have some personal issues that happen. Uh, you know, I've seen people in business who went through a divorce or they had a bankruptcy and, and their life went to hell in a handbasket and their behavior changed, if not permanently, certainly for a period of time, which created chaos around them. And so you might get people in your room that, uh, whose values change over time and they're no longer a good fit. So your question is, what do you, what do, you do with those people? So my favorite uh, t- technique is uh, benign neglect. Mm. Think about uh, like this. Because, benign you know, neglect. Benign neglect. Yeah. Because look, you could. There are some times when you have somebody who is um, that you can have an open relationship conversation with. You can say, "Hey, look, you know, we've been we've been butting heads a lot." this may not you know this may not be a good fit to continue to connect like we've been connecting you know you can have an honest conversation with some people some people you just can't and that's where benign neglect comes in and think about it have you ever had friends i have that you were really close to but over time you just kind of started losing contact with and and you love them and they fit your values and When you were, you know, maybe geographically close, you stayed in contact, but maybe one of you moved away or interests changed, and you accidentally, it's not on purpose, but there's benign neglect. And the relationship kind of dissipates. The same thing works when you do it on purpose. Don't make yourself available. available, Don't respond quickly. Just kind of gradually let it go. Some people that works for because they don't like conflict. Um, You know, I'm not a fan of conflict, personal conflict with others. Um, And if I feel like I can have an honest conversation with them about what the problems are, I'd rather do that. But if I think it's just going to turn into, uh, you know, burning of bridges, I'd rather not burn bridges. And the concept of benign neglect works well for me.
1: I knew somebody was going to tweet us right off the bat with this question. I was predicting this. (laughs) that's pretty funny. (laughs) The question is, ready? Does this apply to family and friends or just business? <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: it it applies to to business, family, friends, uh, all of it. Now, family is a little harder. You know, cuz you, you can't you you know, you can't just uh, stop seeing or talking to family. You're going to see them. Um and so I get it that it's a little bit harder, but um but the benign neglect thing can work pretty well with them. Uh, you know, you see them at family gatherings, and uh, you know it's good to see you, but it doesn't. You don't have to let them necessarily get close or get back into your room. Uh, so this this concept works um, in in all contexts, I think. Now, if you're talking about business, um, there are um, some things that you can do in in a, in a business situation where it's a little easier to work them uh, out of your room to kind of wall them off. Um, it, it, it would be, you know, especially if it's uh, someone where you have any any kind of authority to, you know, you give them projects that have uh, nothing to do with what you're working on. You stay away from the projects that, 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 um, that they're doing. Um, you know, there are some people, and listen, there have been people in my organization that I just didn't want anything to do with. I didn't pick them. I didn't really know them, and they had – one guy in particular has such a horrible attitude. He's, he's negative about everything. I just make sure to not be involved in projects with the guy. I just steer away from him. So uh, I, I uh, that has been a very uh, effective technique. When I have something that's his area of expertise, I try to find somebody else who has the same area of expertise and give them the work rather than this person, which um, – gradually puts somebody else in a position of authority and knowledge and expertise in the company and i purposefully don't use this other individual who generally uh you know comes to every project with a bad attitude
0: you know sense? i i'm thinking also uh you know, I, I like the benign neglect idea—the idea you don't don't encourage them. You're sort of setting a boundary that you know I'm really, I'm really not into you. Uh, but you do it despite not being around them, etc. But but if they are around you what, you know, I'm thinking I just kind of did a little blog about toxic people and how to deal with them. And yeah. the whole idea is, to, in my mind, is to neutralize their negativity. So if you are stuck with somebody in your room and, they're, and, and they may even share your values, but they're negative and they're pessimistic and they're the, all the wrong things for success and cooperation and growth, you've you got to try to, like, not let their labels and their judgments bring you down, right? You've got to try to neutralize their negativity, their their mindset, uh what do you think about that?
2: I love that expression, neutralize their negativity. I think that's um, that's uh, right on the mark, and I think there are ways that you can do it. Um, you do it uh, really in a business context in particular, you know, through kind of divide and conquer. Um, I had, uh, whenever I have a group of people who are just very, very negative, um, I tend to not um, point to them um, within the organization and say, you know, here are people that are really successful, uh, try what they're doing. Instead, I try to find people that are just as successful but have a really positive uh, attitude and a really positive way of doing business with others and and point to them and say, uh, you, I'd say make those people who are really negative less relevant to you personally and to the work you do and to the others um, that you may uh, be working with, so you edify other people, which is kind of what you 're talking about with neutralize their negativity, edify others who 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 are doing business in a way that you value um, They are successful, but they 're doing it with the right kind of attitude and uh, they 're not toxic that 's actually been very successful for me hmm. um, you know and, and and i've been really upfront in in my organization and say i don't like dealing i don't like doing business with toxic people and so uh, you know if if you find that uh if if i'm working with you and you're coming across in a very toxic way you're going to find that i'm going to be referring other people to do projects and to take on leadership roles um if you're toxic you're not going to be a leader in my company mhm and so I kind of put it out there right from the very beginning, and I think people start to get it when they stop getting assignments, they stop getting edified. Um, there it's it's not just benign neglect. It's, it's more like what you're saying, neutralizing their authority within the business. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm thinking I'm, I'm reading some of your bio and it says um you've been called the father of mo- modern networking and by CNN and one of the top networking experts to watch by Forbes um you're you're one of the world's leading experts on business networking and I'm just wondering how like how you started all of this did you um I always ask this sometimes of, of not always and sometimes but I pretty much always ask this <laughs> of of my guests um were you like this in kindergarten? Were you, you know, were you the, were you the guy, t- you know, introducing everybody to everybody? Or were you like that in high school or college? Or was there a moment where a mentor came into your life and taught you this? Or, or how did how did that go? How do you get to be called the father of modern networking in your lifetime? It's so cool.
2: Uh, yeah, that was really and <laughs> very nice of an entrepreneur to say. <laughs> Uh, you know i think it's uh, in some ways it's 30 minutes of inspiration and 30 years of perspiration uh you know the uh, the uh, the secret to success without hard work is kind of still a secret uh, you know it it takes a lot of work to to get there um i did have a mentor though and and it's it's funny because i uh, have been talking about this just recently uh it took me a lot of years to find what's what um I call in in one of my books uh, your emotionally charged connection. Well, what is it? Why do you do what it is that you do? And that's it's really kind of important to understand that I think to become a real, uh, truly a whole person, uh, to understand why, what's the why behind um, the things that you do in life. And um, I kind of just came to that realization just within the last few years, and it came as a result of a mentor. Uh, who I think really changed the trajectory of my life. I was 13 years old. I was um, in high school, freshman in high school. I went to high school in Southern California, Zusa Unified School District. And um, I had a high school teacher, Mr. Romero, who um, the first week or two of high school class, uh, he he said, uh, we picked the elementary, I mean the high school student council for the freshmen, we pick from freshman history. So this class is going to elect um, the student council representative. Now you have to understand, I had run for student council throughout junior high school every year, and I lost every year, consistently. The most consistent thing about it was I lost big every time. I, it wasn't just uh, you know it wasn't just I wasn't just decimated. I was dead last in every election. Right and and it was, you know, when you're, eleven, twelve years old, that's a big deal, and yeah. now I'm thirteen, uh, lost every election. I'm thinking, yeah, been there, done that, not going to do that again, and I had no intention of running. And he asked the class, um, is there anyone that's interested, or would you like to nominate anyone? And nobody was interested, none. We even had, I'll never forget this young girl, Cynthia, she was uh, she was a cheerleader. She stood up, and she said, oh, Mr. Romero, you know, I'd run, but I'm really busy, and I just don't think I have the time to do this. Like, nobody even asked her. <laughs> she just said, no, I, I can't do it. She, so Mr. Romero was like, okay, Cynthia, thank you very much. Is there anybody? And I was committed to not committing. There's no way I was going to do this again. And he said, okay, well, then let me tell you, if you don't, If you don't pick somebody, I'm empowered to select on my own. So are you sure you're not going to nominate someone and and vote? And they said, yeah, yeah, you pick. We don't care. It doesn't matter. So he looked around the room and he stopped at me. Yeah. (laughs) He looked at me and he, he, he stopped and he said, Ivan, I bet you'd like to do this, wouldn't you? I looked at him and I was like, Wow, you know, why did he why did he pick me? What is it, you know, that I had only known him for a week or two, so I didn't I really didn't know why he picked me, but he said, you know, I really you'd like to do this, I bet, wouldn't you? And I said, Well yeah, Mr. Mr. Actually I kind of would. And he said, Okay, um Ivan's the student council representative. Now I swear to you, the entire class in unison said Oh, no, not Ivan.
0: <laughs>
2: Anybody but Ivan. Cynthia stood up. She said, oh, Mr. Romero, if you're going to pick Ivan, then I'll do it. I'll find the time <laughs> to do it. And I remember sitting there thinking, uh, well, you guys see me, right? I'm right here. Um, and and it's kind of funny now. But you, gotta, you have to put wasn't yourself in. funny then, in. No, I
1: bet. Oh. No.
2: No. I mean, imagine, 13-year-old boy. I had lost every election. Uh, here I'm picked, and everybody says no. Uh, you know, I didn't have a crystal ball at 13 to see that, you know, someday I would create a global organization. It would be an international company, that I'd be a keynote speaker, that I'd be an I you know, I didn't have that crystal ball. I was just a kid. And and I felt you know major rejection yet again. So it was um, it was really kind of a devastating moment. But it was it, but on the other hand, um, it was incredible because Mr. Romero, said no. Uh, you know I gave you uh, an option. You chose to let me pick. I pick Ivan. Everybody, turn open up your book and uh, turn to chapter two. And it was it. it was over. And so I spent that year doing my absolute best in, in that role. I mean, I, I figured, look, you know, I may never, I may never get elected ever. So I'm going to do everything I can to, to make a difference in this one year. And I just worked my butt off. And at the end of the year, that same class that said, oh, no, not Ivan, um, voted for me to be the, the student council representative as a sophomore. That same class, and I then won every election after that, last year I was ASB president, but yet, as a freshman, i couldn 't even get twenty students, not one of twenty students to support me and I realized and it, and it took many years to come to this conclusion because your question was what led you to this to 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 you know kind of go in the direction that you went. I realized that every business I have ever started has been a business to give someone an opportunity to be their best. It wasn't a <clears throat> it, you know, it was a, every business I've done has been
0: reliving
2: what Mr. Romero did for me. And I don't think I really put two and two together until the last few years. Um when it was actually someone who was pointing it out to me that you know, that, that story really is is kind of the theme for your professional career. Because every business you've done has been you know, I, I, when you're talking about networking, I can't help I can't make you successful in building your business through referrals. But I can provide the opportunity. I can give you the system, I can give you the structure, I can give you the chance to do what you need to do to be successful. And and that is absolutely my emotionally charged connection. That's so why i'm in business
0: well you know when you're telling that story that really did form you and uh... and then you said you worked your butt off uh, that that to be of service to to all these people not only to Romero who had faith in you but to be of service to all these different people to really provide uh, quality whatever representation for them and uh and that's kind of like what you know when you created BM, bni right like uh that givers gain that this is all about you know helping other people and uh and that's the key to success right
2: Absolutely, you know, giver's gain is
0: is an important element
2: uh, of our organization, and we we brought that into it uh, from the very beginning. That's our philosophy as a company. If you want to get business from people, you have to be willing to give business to people. You have to be there to help other people. And it's, it's actually founded in um, social capital theory. Called, it's a theory called the law of reciprocity. And we all know that law. It's, you know, what goes around comes around. If you help people, they're going to help you in return. And um, that became a core foundational theme. Uh, for the philosophy of our organization, and it's you know it's so funny because I really when I when I started BNI and I came up with that phrase to use in BNI, I I wasn't thinking of Mr. Romero. Um, it wasn't like I said until years later that uh, you know somebody kind of put the connection together for me in my mind. Where it's like wow, you know it's amazing how. Something that happens to us so young can, can, as you said, form the basis of, you know, the person that we become.
1: Do you by any chance know Fred Cuellar of Diamond Cutters I, International? I
0: don't. Do you know no. him
1: at all? I don't have to introduce <laughs> you to him. You two might be my, my favorite all-time people to listen to. Uh, I, I I'm like taking notes, and I, I mean, oh my gosh, I'm sitting here the whole time you're talking, listening and thinking, I wonder what a show would be like with both Fred and Ivan on it at one time, because you guys are just, you have the coolest stories and and all these things, and um, I just am, and, and it leads me to my next point, which is um, addicted to yes, because he kind of says the same <laughs> thing, and I'm, I'm curious what your spin on addicted to yes is, because he's always, um, he'll always say yes before he'll say no for the most part, he loves yes. Is that what you
2: mean? Yeah. Too? Well, you know what? You know, I, I think if you can find, uh, you know, really good reasons to say yes to people, then then you should. Um, I also believe that um, no is a one-word sentence, and you you should be using that a little bit more. Uh, all too often, we'll say yes to stuff that just doesn't fit our mission. And uh, this is particularly relevant with who's in your room, because you have to have an understanding of what your personal mission is, what what is your vision of your life? what What do you want to be achieving personally and professionally? And so when people come to you with ideas, when they want you to do something, you have to determine whether it's an opportunity or a distraction. and all, all too often, we say yes to distractions. When we say yes to distractions, at some point, we realize our heart's not really in it. And we end up not doing as well as the other person hoped that we would do. And it fails, whatever it is that we're, you know that, that, that someone's asking us to do. It doesn't work well. Uh, and it may not work well because you're just not happy doing it. And when that happens, then nobody's happy. And so saying yes is sometimes a bad idea and and the key is understanding whether it's an opportunity or a distraction. How uh, do you know that? How
1: do you know which yeah. one's which like if you if you're just trying something um right. or or doing something for the first time, how do you know which one it is or do you have to learn? <laughs> uh,
2: well, you 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 do, and it's certainly a a work in progress, but um you want to, to, to you know, if you, if you have a clear understanding of what your what your vision is for where you want to be going in business and in life, that's your starting point. And I'll give you a I'll give you another, another story that will show you an example of what can happen when you stay on mission. So mm-hmm. uh, 2005, 10 years ago, uh, somebody called me up. It was a, a BNI member, as a matter of fact, a business coach. And she said, um, her name was Kim, and she said, uh, she asked me for a favor, a favor. She asked me if I would help develop some, training material with her coaching company and there was really no financial, there was no upfront financial reason for me to do it down the road there might have been something but it was uh, you know it was more of a favor than anything else and so uh, first thing I did was I asked myself is this on mission is this where I want to, is this the kind of thing I want to be doing um, and 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 do I have the time to do it well do I have the time the answer was no, I don't have the time to do one more thing But it was totally on mission for me, because I wanted to do more public speaking, and I wanted to start to develop more material on networking that was coachable and trainable to people, so it was completely on mission, but lousy timing. My answer to her was yes, because it was on mission. Now, here's the kind of magic that happens when you're on mission with something, with with and you say yes to something that is congruent with your mission. Uh, I said yes. As a result, we developed the material because the, I developed the material went over so well. I got hired to to keynote their conference. I keynoted their conference, and guess who I met? I met the gentleman that you just mentioned uh, earlier in the interview. I met Jack Canfield at this conference. Canfield. Yeah, I met yeah. Jack. And it was an amazing experience uh, meeting Jack because, you know, Jack's a great raconteur, a great storyteller. Uh, and, and of course, the you know, if you want to make an impression on a great storyteller, you tell him a great story. And we, we happened to be at this event, and we were at a book signing, but they, they did the scheduling wrong, so nobody was there for the book signing. Nobody. They were all still at oh, dinner. No. and And so there's Jack and I. You know, standing alone, I forgot you know, this Jack Canfield, he's sold almost a billion books. I'm, I'm, I want to meet him. So I strike up a conversation. What do you say to stand out? You tell him a story. I told him a story about a book signing that I went to once, that I was, uh, you know, author. Nobody showed up. Nobody showed up except my mother. And That's why she shows take up. My and, mom with me. And, Oh, yeah. Well, she shows up, and she, <laughs> and she looks at me, and she walks in, and she says, Dr. Meisner? Ivan Meisner, what an honor it is to meet you. <laughs> she, she made such a big scene uh, that people started lining up, and it was, I had this amazing book signing because my mother pretended not to be my mother. <laughs> and It was hysterical. I had Jack laughing so hard that he was kind of bent over holding himself up. So I made this good connection with him.
1: Did my mom he do that? <laughs> oh, yeah. I did
0: my son.
2: It was an amazing experience. It was very funny. It it went from being the most embarrassing day of my life to being one of the most successful book signings that I had. It was very funny. So uh, he he invited me to the Transformational Leadership Council, which is an organization of transformational thought leaders and and, uh, trainers. And from there I met uh, Mark Vicente, who wrote the book, uh, What the Bleep Do We Know Anyway?, uh, which is a really interesting book. It's uh, you know it's about quantum physics and it's really entertaining. And I I never thought I'd put those two phrases in the same sentence, you know, <laughs> quantum physics and entertaining. Uh, and there I met uh, Nancy Salzman. Now all of this came from one introduction by Kim George, and I met Nancy Salzman who did seminars on ethics. And as a result of meeting her, I got invited to Necker Island. For an ethics oh. seminar. Now, do you know who owns Necker Island? No. Richard. No. Br- Richard Branson. Oh
1: yeah, Richard Branson. Yeah.
2: And I met Branson on Necker Island because of an introduction. Uh, well, no, because of a, 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 a favor that someone asked me. you to do. And and I ended up writing a whole book with on this concept. I call it the butterfly effect of networking. Butterfly effect is, the, you know, part of chaos theory. The flapping of the wings of a butterfly changes something in the environment that changes something that changes something that changes, something that changes the weather. And it's amazing how one contact can lead to something that leads to something to lead to something, but, um, but it, it takes time and you have to start the process on mission. And so if you're saying yes to the right things, that leads you down a path It can be absolutely amazing. So you have to learn when to say yes and when to say no. And my experience is if you're saying yes to things that are on your personal mission, it leads you down the right path. And if you say no, you're saying no because it's not on mission, and it's going to end up being a distraction anyway. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I was also thinking as you were saying that about uh, say no to ego like uh that things that are are a distraction uh if you were to say yes it's really probably your ego and not your mission that's speaking and uh, and sometimes you might even be tempted the temptation is ego too that someone might come up with something that is seems to be along your mission line but doesn't really fit with your values and but your ego's going oh say yes say yes but you really need to say no because it's really it may be along your mission but it's not along your values so you would say no right
2: yeah absolutely uh you know and you're you're correct. it's not just the mission. it's got to be your long- term goals and absolutely your values. If you're not being congruent with your own values, then uh it's going to create problems down the road I'm, i'll give you uh, give you another example and and this example is in in the in the who's in your room book um, i one of the values that I have is i I don't like drama. I don't like people who constantly have drama. no we all have some drama. We all do. I get that, but you probably know a handful of people who, whose entire life is one big drama. It's one thing after another, after another. Right? Mm-hmm. I hear a chuckle. So it sounds like. <laughs>
1: oh yeah, I'm I'm with yeah. you on the no drama zone. That's that's sometimes. Um, yeah, no, I'm just gonna be quiet right there. Yeah, I'm, but, we are a no uh, drama zone.
2: <laughs> so I I hate drama. It drives me crazy. But oh. there was a point at which I uh, there was a, there was a guy that I was gonna. Who's really qualified to hire for a project? Really qualified, um, but he just came with so much drama. I mean, it was you know Days of Our Life kinds of stuff every day, and um, and I knew it. I knew it. And, and Walter, I did exactly what you you said. I I, I said yes to this. I, I hired this guy knowing that he came with drama and knowing. You know, one of my values was a drama-free zone. But I figured, look, he's so qualified uh, that that'll make up for it. it was, I was dead wrong. It was one of the most expensive mistakes I have ever made in my life. It cost me a fortune. And it wasn't until I heard my co-author of this book talk about the concept of who's in your room. This is before I was ever in the book. And I heard him talk about who's in your room and surrounding yourself with people that you want to do business with because the quality of your life depends on the people in your life, in personal and business. And I heard him talk about this, and I walked out, and I said, i got to fire this guy.
0: Hmm. And I
2: fired that guy the next week, and the project turned around within six months. Hmm. Uh, but it was all because of uh, I was not congruent with my own values. And and so you you, you bring up a good point. The values have to be on the mark in order for you to say yes.
1: That's, that's probably my, one of my favorite parts of this book is um, create your list of deal breakers with you know people that aren't in line with your values and behaviors and all that stuff. And you know one thing um, I, I've noticed from kicking around here, you know doing all of this for a few years now, is that sometimes I encounter people who. Um, I'm let me back up a little bit. I'm I'm pretty gratitude based and I'm pretty unintentional. I'm you know I'm I'm pretty I'm a real go with the flow kind of human being. No drama, just do do do, you know. You know, I'm not very calculated. I I admit it. And I come across people who are very intentional, very aggressive. I'm going to meet everybody in sight, so you know, it's like almost like a trampling, kill people in your path kind of method of doing networking or business. So like, step on heads to get to who you really want to talk to or get to the top or whatever drives me nuts. Um, what do you have to say about that? Do you encounter that and help us yeah, learn well, a little bit?
2: Yeah, well, this is this is definitely my wheelhouse in, in terms of working, uh, talking about uh, networking uh, environments. Um, so what you're talking about are people that tend to be very transactional in their networking versus relational in their networking. And let me set the context. Um, I did a speech in London uh, a few years back, and there were almost 900 people in the audience. And I, I started my speech uh, with a question. I said, how many of you are here today? Raise your hands. Hoping, you know, just possibly to sell something. 900 people raised their hands. <laughs> the whole room was like, Yeah. <laughs> You know, this is a networking event, uh, um, you know, and, and you know, you're know, you the speaker, but there was a lot of open networking. So 900 people raise their hands. I said, okay, great, thanks. Second question. How many of you are here today, raise your hands, hoping to maybe just possibly buy something? No one raised their hands. Hmm. Not one single person. This is what I call the networking disconnect. People show up at networking events wanting to sell, but nobody's there to buy. And so networking always gets a bad rap when when people have that kind of experience. Uh, and and people write about, I just saw an article on a major, major uh, online platform uh, about how the person hates networking, that networking is dead. And, um, you know, we, it's, it's not about networking, it's about relationships. Hello that's what networking should be about it's it's yeah. about building relationships and and when you treat networking as a transaction versus a re, uh, building a relationship that's when it fails miserably because it becomes very mercenary and so you, if if you're you know out there to shake hands and collect cards and then spam everybody afterwards um the you leave those meetings, and you know that's where you have like a shower moment. You, you know, you want, you know, you need to get a shower because you just got. Shower moment. You just feel
1: slimed. You got slimed, yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's
2: hilarious. and people hate, they hate networking with people like that. And,
1: oh
2: yeah. And and here's here's the thing, I think people do it, without, <laughs> really knowing, they they they're you know they're they're, they want business. They're kind of desperate for business. Uh, and because of that, they they just come on a little strong without realizing that it's it's all about, if you want referrals, it's all about relationships. You have to build relationships with people. I did a I did a book, um, the title of the book was uh, Business, Networking, and Sex, Not What You Think. <laughs> that was the subtitle, Not What You Think. And it's about the difference between men and women and how they network. And... Um, And we did a survey of 12,000 people, 12,000 people. And um, we asked questions about, you know, relational versus transactional questions. And we found, by the way, we found that men tended to be more transactional. And women tended to be a little more relational. So men would be more likely to go right for the sale, uh, whereas women tended more than men to be a little bit more relational in the way they networked. And uh, we found that women actually did better in networking than men did, that they spent a little less time networking and they generated a higher percentage of their business through networking than the men did. And so we looked at that and we said, let's pull, let's pull gender out of it and just look at people, whether they're men or women, who are relational versus transactional. And we found that, um, that those people, either men or women, who were more relational did better in their networking than those who were more transactional.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's tied into the idea of trust. You know, yes. if you're if you're transactionally going in for the kill, you're going in for the close. Uh, people are going to be suspicious or, or yes. wonder about what your real intentions are, or, or, and uh, they're not going to trust you. If you take a relational approach, you let you know where the people get to know you better. People uh, feel more comfortable with you. They trust you. They're more likely that they want to truly network and cooperate with you and uh and i'm thinking you you say something and you have a chapter called are you in your room and i was thinking maybe what you're talking about is is authenticity and maybe that ties into to being the relational having relational success if you're authentic people will trust you more people will feel more comfortable and want to network with you is is that what you meant by that or is there another idea of are you in your room
2: well, it, it it was it was going in a, a slightly different direction than that, but um you, you got to be authentic in your networking, but you you also have to
0: uh
2: understand that, that networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. That it is about right. it's about cultivating relationships. Um and people tend to use networking um as a face-to-face cold calling opportunity as opposed to a, a relationship building opportunity. So the foundation of everything I teach, uh, teach is really based on a concept I call the VCP process. VCP, visibility, credibility, profitability. If you don't get this right, nothing else you do matters. It, just, it won't work. Networking will fail for you if you don't get this right. It's a chronological process. It begins with visibility. That's where people know who you are, they know what you do, and they know you're good at it. Uh, they know who you are, and they know what you do. Credibility is where people know who you are, they know what you do, and they know you're good at it. And it takes time to move from invisibility to visibility. It takes time to move from visibility visibility to credibility, where people know you're good at what you do, and they may know you're good because they know people who've done business with you or they've seen you operate and they're impressed with the way you operate. And then it takes even more time to go from credibility to profitability, where people know who you are, they know what you do, they know you're good at it, and they're willing to pass you referrals because they trust you because you've developed credibility. What tends to happen when networking goes wrong is people, you know, they meet you for the first time and they'll say, hi, Elizabeth, I'm Ivan, let's do business. Um, and they try to jump over visibility because you don't even know them. They try to jump over visibility they try to jump over credibility and they get right to profitability, let's do business. Uh, we call this in the gender book, we call that premature solicitation, which <laughs> you don't. You don't want to say fast three times; it'll get you in trouble. <laughs> That's
1: funny, but so true. That and that explains it really well. Now, can we go to the flip side of it for a second? Um, we yeah. were talking about this. Like, I have a. I um, had a book signing, and I must have three hundred and fifty business cards sitting in front of me, and I really yeah. do have yet to put them in my mail. Thing and send out an email other than thank you for for being at my at my book signing or you know, yeah. at the event I was at, and thank you for coming and listening to me speak. I, I refuse to use that list to sell them anything more. It feels obnoxious.
2: Is that yeah. where well, I you need know, to I don't... get a
1: little more aggressive?
2: Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> so let's talk about one of the things that um, I, I want to talk about what, what I would recommend you do with that. But before I do, let's let's talk about um, uh, another piece of the book, uh, the gender book, because although women did better at networking than men did, the one thing that women uh, brought up a lot, and we had 6,000 women in the survey, one of the things that they brought up a lot was that they have a hard time asking for the sale. Mm-hmm. And um, when I talk to women about this, th- th- this resonates with Many women. Now, some women have said to me that I'm not like that. I, you know, I, I, I don't. I have no problem asking for the sale. Okay, so we're not talking about you. Okay, if, if you say that, we're not talking about you. But when you survey 12,000 people, 6,000 women, you you get some pretty good data about what is uh, taking place on average. And um, with, with that kind of survey, we got some pretty clear-cut data that, that many women felt that, they were, that their weakness was in asking for the sale. And there's a great story that my co-author has, Hazel Walker, um, where she had a really good friend who was on a board for a woman's shelter, and, um, the, and she, she sold um, silkscreen T-shirts. And that the women's shelter had bought T-shirts from her competitor, And the the fellow board member called Hazel and said, Hazel, can you believe this? You know, I've known the director for I don't know how many years. I'm on the board, and she went to my competitor? And Hazel said, well, let's, let's sit down with her and talk to her and find out, you know, why. She said, oh, God, I don't know if I could, but all right, I will. And they sat down, and they asked, you know, Hazel was just kind of there as a, bystanders moral support and she asked her why why did you uh, not come to me and and ask because i would have loved to uh, have done business with you and the director said to her janet you never asked i just assumed that you know we're a non-profit so our margins are really low and because you never brought it up that you'd like to do business with us we just assumed that you didn't want to deal with the low margins and and so i just didn't want to come to you and put you on the spot so we went with somebody who you know we knew would have be okay with the low margins and and she and hazel walked out after that meeting and hazel looked at at the woman and said and what did we learn from today's meeting (laughs) (laughs) she said i learned i have to ask and Hazel said yeah you got to ask and there's tactful ways to ask i mean she could have at any point said hey look if uh, if the organization's ever in need of um, the services that I have, um, just know that I'm available. And I know that you guys go, you know, on, on, you know, price is important, and I got that. You're, you're price sensitive, and, and I'll keep that in mind. And, you know, keep me in mind if you go that direction. That's all she would have ever had to do, but she didn't do that. So let's talk about your stack of business cards. One of the things yeah. that dri- drives me crazy is when people get – Cards and they say it's for a drawing, oh, and then they yeah. take all those cards. Yeah, you've been there, yeah. Then they take all those cards, put them in their database, and then start spamming the heck out of people. That's yeah, no. That's misuse of the process. But I think there's an opt-in opportunity, and that opt-in opportunity would be something like. Um, if you would like to sign up for my newsletter, or if you would like to sign up for my uh, blog notices, uh, where you'll, you know we'll send you a notice that my latest blog came out, or whatever it is that you want to to offer to them, drop your card off here, and we'll follow up. Now you've got people opting in, and um, if you if you asked for it in anything similar to that manner. Then they have they have given you permission to reach out to them. You should do that,
1: yeah, this was me just sitting there signing books, and I had my business cards there, and people would take my card and put theirs down and It was really cool it was a um it was a great book signing and um speaking event, but i just I left with the business- and you know i that was a little bit where maybe the at home mom part of me kicked in yeah. the gear I'm like, what do I do with all these cards?
0: <laughs> well, not, so here's here's the thought. Felt um, <clears throat> yeah.
2: Drop him an email. Drop him an email yeah. and say, you know, met you at the book signing. Thank you for coming. I really do appreciate it. It was great, uh, great having an opportunity to uh, to meet you. Um, I do uh, an X. I have a blog. I have a whatever. Uh, here's the link. If you're interested in staying connected with me, for for example, I refer people to my blog, IvanMeisner.com. I refer people to my blog, and and I'll I'll say it's a great way to stay in touch with me. If you like what I talk about, um, you can stay in touch with me on my blog. I read every comment that gets put up there. So uh, I promise you, if you comment, I'll read it, and and oftentimes I'll comment back. So um, it's a great way to stay connected with me. And then people sign up for my blog. So you advice. could do that in your email, send it out, and um, and have a link where all they have to do is click on it, and and then they've opted in, and you can then stay in touch with them.
1: Yeah, I, and I bet a lot of people have that have this issue, and really just don't know how to properly follow up with cards. And and a lot of it is because sometimes we're on the receiving end of things that are just so right. flat out aggressive. We're like, ooh, I don't want to be like that, but how do I? Yep. How do I tone this down or change it or whatever? That is that's just fabulous advice.
2: That's
0: Transparency,
2: a, that's a great
1: takeaway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: that's the key.
0: You know, you, you, minutes, it buddy. talk about the. It's kind of like the yin and the yang, the the male and the female, where mm. you know you want the you want the that the feminine kind of relationship and trust, but then you also need sort of that masculine, uh, if you want to use these terms, uh, of assertiveness and follow through and asking asking for the the uh, the, clo- the closure. Uh, I think that's really interesting.
2: I think you're right. Well, I think it, it, it has to be a combination because um, clearly women did a better job of building the relationship in their networking process. They were really focused on uh, uh, the relationship first and foremost. But men were stronger at asking for the sale, they sometimes asked for it too soon, whereas women just didn't get around to asking for it enough. And it's probably some kind of, of combination. So yeah.
1: probably out of fear because I know I know part of my fear would be ever being perceived like um bossy or rude or aggressive or anything like that. I'd I'd rather be perceived a little bit nice or a lot of bit nice than any of those things ever.
0: Well what what about also being afraid of someone saying no and having a hard time dealing with rejection? Is that a factor too? No question about it. And Hazel has an interesting my
2: co author has an interesting theory on that, um that uh, you know, like it or not, men are conditioned to ask ask for stuff. To, uh, starting with asking for a date, men are conditioned <laughs> to it, and you know, so they ask women out. Uh, women have historically, right or wrong, I you know, I don't want to get there, but Whatever, yeah. historically have have not done that as much. And so, uh, for a man, it's just a, it's a numbers game. Right, this is her theory. It's, it's just a numbers game. You know, you ask uh, three women out, you're going to get a yes, you know, or whatever. Five women, you're going to get a yes. Um, and and sales is a number game. You know, you ask for five clo- uh, sales, you get you get one or two. All right. Uh, and so there, are, there's a little bit more conditioning um, uh, in place, I think, for men, and and that's Hazel's theory, and I'm inclined to agree with it, than there is for women. When it
1: goes, we've got just uh, probably like five minutes left here. I'm, I'm so where did the hour so go? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And and we need to be respectful of your time, too, and make sure we, we end on time. Um, before we go, I was wondering, um, I have this theory in social media um, that I use, and that is for anything I might ever promote about myself, like if I want to put a link out about my book saying, you know, here's learn how to, you know, percolate or whatever for today, I will put out, um ten to twelve to maybe even fifteen uh, links about other people in promotion of their products or retweets or likes or something like that i will I will do ten to twelve things for other people for every one thing that I do for myself in social media. Do you agree with that or um, do you have a, uh, any other things you want to talk about with social media?
2: yeah you know i i I do agree that you want to put out um links and and connections for other people. It really goes back to that giver's gain idea that that uh if you if you're going to ask anyone to support you, you need to start by supporting them and so um I agree the one other thing that I add um and I probably do more of this than than promote my own stuff or promote other people's stuff, and that's educational content. So I'm constantly trying to put up links that have either a quote from one of my books or a quote from somebody else's book, uh, not as a link to go to that book, but just, you know, uh, I may just have a quote, you know, out of who's in your room. You know, here's here's a quote from who's in your room. You know, what do you think? Uh, how does this apply to you? And to get, you know, the gray matter stirred up in people's minds where they're thinking about, uh, something I've said, and then commenting on it. By the way, I've gotten some great ideas by doing that, where people elaborate or, or comment on one of my quotes or somebody else's quote that ended up becoming a blog article, uh, having read their comments. So educational content is a lot of what I tend to put up.
0: You know, also in the last minute or two, uh, maybe you might mention your the, the BNI and the uh, that People get together with diff- different uh, professions, and they come together every week, and they 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 help each other.
2: Yeah, yeah. We have seven thousand chapters, uh, as you mentioned in the introduction. Um, every populated continent of the world, um, we allow one person per profession. So there's uh, you know one uh, person uh, from each profession, and we get together every week. So we literally have seven thousand meetings a week, all around the world. Uh, Elizabeth, you mentioned in the introduction that we passed uh, 6.6 million referrals, generated $8.6 billion in business. Just so you know, $8.6 billion is the same as the gross domestic product for the country of Liechtenstein. Wow. <laughs> okay, it's a small country, I know, but still how cool is that?
0: that we Not could bad. generate
2: as much business as a small nation. I'm looking for a bigger country next year, but I still think it's so. <laughs> Pretty cool. If your listeners have any interest in um, visiting a BNI group, go to bni.com. Bni.com. And it stands for Business Network International. Bni.com. And I, I think I also written... mentioned. Yeah, I've also mentioned my blog ivanmeisner.com. So if you're interested in any, a lot of free stuff up there—content, blogs, videos—go uh, to ivanmeisner.com. And you're
1: also on Twitter at Ivan Meisner, and. Yep. Uh, this- I-V-A-N-M-I-S-N-E-R. And um, we've been kind of uh, tweeting a little bit, but I didn't use your at, so I'll, I'll fix that a little bit here as we go. I usually promote after the show. Of um, We have another question that just came in on Twitter. I was checking it. Um, of all the books you've written, which one is your favorite?
2: Yeah, you know, that's like picking one of your children. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, Which child do you like the best? Uh, it's hard to do it really depends on what the topic would be i think if you're talking about a a, a self development it's got to be who's in your room you know that's there's that, that a self development I, I really don't have m- many self development related books and that would that would be it um if you um if you're talking about a general success, a general book um uh, uh, on on business it's masters of success masters of success is um, I just – I love that book. It was a lot of fun to do, and I interviewed a lot of people on what, what does it take to be successful in life. Uh, and for networking, uh, probably uh, Networking Like a Pro. I did a book a few years back called Networking Like a Pro. All of all of those uh, are available on Amazon except who's in your room. you got to go to BNI.com for that.
1: Okay. And um... – what do you what do you think? What's your biggest? I have another question here. What's your biggest advice to college age students with respect to network networking in college? Hang on, I'm trying to read this. Networking in college so that job opportunities um happen more after college. I'll just paraphrase that a little bit.
2: Yeah, so, uh, you know, we don't teach this, what I talk about uh, on networking, we don't teach it in colleges and universities anywhere in the world, and it's uh, really um, unfortunate because it would benefit uh, college students a lot. I think the important thing is uh, to start young and stay in touch with people. Uh, college students today uh, are in a
0: fantastic
2: place compared to where I was when I went to college. I, I, I went to college with some amazing people, but we didn't have Facebook to stay in touch. And many of the people that I went to college with um, lived all around the world. And and so you just I lost touch with them. Um, but today with Facebook, you can stay in touch with people. And so it's, it's really important to stay connected with your friends and associates that you've met in college because you never know where they may end up. And staying connected with them um, through through things like Facebook and other social media, uh, Twitter, uh, is a great way to kind of keep up with one another and have touch points throughout your early career where you reach out to them and say hey how you doing uh, you know i just saw this post that you put out that's really amazing i'm impressed and the more you can stay connected with people over time the more you'll be able to down the road if they're doing something that's exciting to you reach out to them and and uh, help to enhance that that experience that they're having and hey who knows maybe you know get some business or do some work with them does that make sense
1: yeah, perfect yeah. sense, and we're going to go into record mode for a minute here as we wind up the show. Um, yeah. That's that's great advice, and I couldn't agree with you more. Um, yeah, the the kids—they're just all—it's like they're networking from when they're born now.
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's
1: really it's really wild. And my some you know—one of the things I did with my kids right away was grab their names as websites, just so we would have them.
2: <laughs> right you know just so you have world. just
1: in case cuz it's just a totally different world yeah um i've so and we have so enjoyed having you on the show today thank you so much for being with us and giving us an hour of your time and um dr walter did you have anything else you wanted to ask or? i
0: would just echo that that uh you know there's yeah. so much uh, information you you shared with us today thank you very much appreciate it
2: yes. well, my pleasure you. it's the fun part of my job That's awesome. All right, everybody,
1: um, we've been talking with Dr. Ivan Meisner for the past hour. He's the author of Who's in Your Room? The Quality of Your Life Depends on the People in Your Life. He's also, um, two of his favorite books are Master of Success and Networking Like a Pro that he has written, um, both both other books that you can grab on uh, Amazon or wherever books are sold. And um, also you can go to, was it Dr. Ivan Meisner or IvanMeisner.com? IvanMeisner.com. Yeah, IvanMeisner.com. Yep. And then also on Twitter, Ivan Meisner, and on Facebook, and I I'm pretty much sure you could just Google you and get a hold of you some way. And I love the fact that on your blog, when you read his when you read Dr. Ivan's blog, if you comment on it, he's actually seeing that and, and paying attention. I think that's awesome. So thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate it so much.
2: Thank thanks to both of you. I appreciate the invitation. Take care. All right. All right.
1: Take Bye-bye. care everybody and thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You.
1: 18- plus.